You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, fans. Morning, everybody. What is Good. happening in Knoxville? It's raining. It's awful. We had rain the last is it few raining? days. Yeah, the, still yeah. raining this morning, huh? huh? Yeah, still raining. Man, we're but, getting lucky. Uh, uh, well, it's a little it's chilly a up here. Now I don't have to cut the grass and waste my time. I hate cutting grass and doing gardening. <laughs> That's like the first thing in the world. Why, why would you want to, you know, spend three hours with a rake when you could spend three hours with a wrench? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's exactly I just it. Well, see, well, there's an easy solution to that. It's, uh, you know, you, you build Goats. a larger a larger garage, and then you pave over more lawn. <laughs> it's this simple. More concrete, more asphalt, larger garage. Until it gets down That's to the point they, where, you know, you can cut that thing with a weed eater or a pair of scissors. <laughs> That's what they used to do in Brooklyn. People used to, you know, our front lawn in Brooklyn was, was uh, seven feet by ten feet. And uh, everybody, <laughs> paid over, everybody paid them over, and then you painted the concrete green. So it looks like grass from a distance, but you got no maintenance. It was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> size of a postage stamp. <laughs> hey, so what's yeah. going on in the car world? Anything exciting? Anything new? Uh, I just found out last night, doing a search for other shows in the area, and the NSRA, the National Street Rod Nationals uh, Association, actually, NSRA, uh, they're coming to Knoxville. Unfortunately, it's the same weekend as the Greenbrier, but their event starts on a Friday, so I'll be spending time checking out all the very cool and incredibly well-built hot rods here in, at the NSRA meet in Knoxville. So first weekend in May, so that's going to be pretty cool, right in my backyard. And then I'll head up I'm to West Virginia you. for the Well, you better be there, and uh, at least this time, hopefully, you know, you know the directions to get to the Greenbrier, so, you know, you can actually get there in some reasonable amount of time, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I know you drive as the crow flies, you know. Well, you know, uh, got to conserve, you know, the gasoline. You know, now, now that we're paying four dollars a gallon, uh, you know, can't do that eighty-five miles an hour. Got to conserve it a little bit, you know. Got to get the most of my mileage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, and you, and that uh, Mini Cooper. Sucking up fuel as you're uh, rolling rolling down the highway. Um, yeah, yeah, they're doing it. You know, gosh, Knoxville's a happening place this year, so you're lucky. Hopefully, it continues because, uh, of course, the AMO American Motors Owners Association Nationals are going to be there in uh, in June, what the 24th uh, through the 25th, or somewhere thereabouts, 24th through 27th, somewhere in there. Um, yep. That's going to be a blast. Of course, I'll be down there, so we'll be s- strolling that that show. Uh, 
I'm yeah. definitely coming up, up, up for that. Yeah. So you have the AMO oh. Nationals here. You have the Lotus National Convention. You have the Lincoln Owners and Continental Owners Club National Convention. And now you have NSRA and Pontiacs and Pigeon Forge, which is one of the biggest Pontiac shows in the country, plus uh, all kinds of Corvette meets and things, Mustang meets. So, yeah, Knoxville's a happening place this summer. I, I guess they're all coming here because they, they knew that I moved here. What do you think? That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. They, they, they felt the, the place from where the pendulum swings moved south. <laughs> right. Hey, if Lent Pinella moved Center pointed the, the pendulum. <laughs> I, so. yeah. I'll tell you. Uh, so... Right up the road from me, uh, the second Mark Smith auction, um, Mark Smith Estate auction, concluded itself um, yesterday. Um, yeah, I read- a little bit different from what they had the first time, though. <coughs> a lot it was of classics. Good, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Gooding uh, was doing this one. David Gooding and uh, his uh, auctioneer. Oh, Excuse me, his presenter, Charlie Ross. Uh, yeah, go, they use that English style auctioneering uh, as opposed to what most Americans are accustomed to when they say go to a, a regular auction. You know, it's give me three, give me three, give me third, third and final call, sold, you know. And uh, instead, you've got uh, Charlie Ross on. Yesterday, as I was watching the live stream uh, feed of, on the auction, um, it's like, well, we, we've got a lovely 1904 Pope It's a simple dandy of a vehicle. I think you can use it in the light London to Brighton race. I think that if it had been determined that there's no other Pope of this model which were built later, which assures you a place. London to Brighton. So let's get started, shall we? You know, <laughs> it's just different. You know, I I bid five dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but didn't they break? They didn't they break a record for some car? I forgot what it was. I read it late last night. Uh, you know, there were there were a couple of couple of cars that went, you know, really really well. The the Chrysler CG Imperial. Um, convertible. You know, that brings up something because they kept talking about period correct customization. So, in other words, the car that was offered, it, it wasn't built, wasn't a coach built car. It wasn't built by, you know, Fleetwood or Durham or Locke or any of those companies um, this guy bought the car and then he modified it to his own tastes so well, it's interesting you know you have a car that brings that much money but in reality it's a custom car it's, it's right. not a coach built car so no, how a, how do you really approach that thing out on the judging field? Really, you know, does does it have a, a tainted provenance, or do you look look past that? 
you know, it. I mean, to the me, place I when it was built. Well, I mean, if if it was built in a custom manner when the car was first produced, then I think that's okay. But if the body was manufactured, you know, customized in the fifties, and that car is from the thirties, then the car is not correct. It's not authentic. So I guess it depends well, when see, the body was. Well, let, let's you know, for comparison's sake, let's just say you went out and, and bought a brand new forty-eight Studebaker, okay? Because I, I I see you in a forty-eight Studebaker, okay? So you buy your forty-eight Studebaker, you take it home, and then you decide, you know what? I'm going to change those tail lights up a little bit here in the garage. Or I'm going to have Iggy down the street at the body shop change those taillights up for me after I get it home. Still 1948, and maybe this particular uh, car is popular with French taillights or headlights, either one, um, during that time period. You know, that's called period correct customization now. Right. When used, it, it used to just simply be called modified. You know, it just seems like they're trying to kind of create a new gray area so that there's another group of cars that are going to be accepted, you know, particularly with French-style judging in the concourse. You know, and yeah. so many of your auction companies now, you know, with Broad Aero Group getting involved in concours and everything, you know, more cars that are, you know, going to be concours ready or is better for auction prices, better for the auction companies, I don't know, you know? Well, in in the muscle car world, they call it day two. So back in the day when someone bought a GTO or Chevelle or 442, the second day that they owned it, they went out and they put Americans or Krager wheels on it, and they jacked up the back and the leaf springs or coils, whatever they did, you know, and uh, that's, sure. what they, that's what they call now. It's, you know, day two modifications, and they find that, you know, it's acceptable, I guess, but you're right. They're creating a new category. That's all it is. Yeah, it's just, you know, broadening that scope so that there's more vehicles to into the to the process and the ranks and to enhance the value of these vehicles because if they're you know concor acceptable then they're certainly more attractive to a broader audience so I don't know I, I yeah. just I noted that in the discussion you know and that came up several times during the auction where it was period correct customization. So, anyhow, this is just something that I noticed. But it was a great auction. It was a lot of fun. I'll tell you one thing that they had, and I made a point not to register for the auction. It was $200 to register. And, you know, Ooh. if you wanted to be there in person, it's 200 bucks because you had to register to, to bid. And, uh, but there were several things. There was a 36 gram supercharged sedan in there that was uh, pretty cool, but it, it was actually pretty ratty. It, it went for somewhere around 14 
to 16. It was probably a $9,000 car in my book. Uh, needed a ton of work. But uh, one of the cooler things, and I'm glad that I didn't have a bidder's card online, I would have popped a bid on it. There was a 1932 Ford house car, which was the forerunner to the modern Winnebago, if you will, um, RV. And this thing was so cool. You know, it had the little porch on the back of it, you know, um, and all that wood paneling and wooden uh, pine uh, cabinets inside and everything. It went for eight grand. Wow. I thought a really good deal. I mean, it needed work, don't get me wrong. But it was really, really a good original, which is one of the things that Mark Smith was known for. He he liked original stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah. We could, like, take Classic Car Show on the road, you know, at 45 miles an hour across country in our 32 Ford house car. You know, they, they proselytizing about Crankshaft Magazine. Oh, it's time for a break. Oh, goodness. Already. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive a great value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. And now, back to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. So, yeah, the, the house car would have been in my garage, which is a good thing because it's really large. <laughs> and it would have taken up eh, at least one and a half normal spaces, uh, which would have meant I would have had to built built another garage. That's the one thing about living up here high atop the Blue Ridge. I can build a lot of garage space. <laughs> no one bought a problem, though. <laughs> uh, nah, I have enough space. I got space for four cars. That's it. You know, I my projects, I hope I get to them before I croak. So uh, I'm done. <laughs> I just got to work well, with you, what I got. Are you feeling okay? I mean, I'm just asking, I feel fine. you know, you, you you're going to make it, right? I'm going to make it. Just that these, these, you know, these cars take so long. When you're very meticulous, and you got to make sure everything is exact without getting chips or 
orange peel and everything else, and I do well, things always like I doing. Well, just God. get it done, enjoy it. I I totally understand why it's taking you a while to do this triumph. Um, you know, I I totally get it. You know, you're waiting for everything to go on sale. You know, you're waiting for Ollie's to get the primer. You know, so that you can get it for a dollar a can. You 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 know, you're waiting for a coupon to come in the mail uh, to save five bucks off of your next purchase uh, at uh, East Wooden Company. You know, I get it. I know. It's okay. <laughs> I'm on a Ollie's has got <laughs> chassis black at Ollie's. I can finish the car. <laughs> So, uh, so we're getting there. Mm. So, how's how's uh, how's Crankshaft Magazine? You you're getting ready to pop another issue yeah. before too long, too. Yeah. You know, we're running late again. Some stories fell by the wayside at the eleventh hour, so I have to, you know, uh, substitute and find uh, different stories. So. Yeah, yesterday we did the proof for the 49 Oldsmobile Woody Wagon, which is way cool, absolutely beautiful. Uh, sea foam green, love it. And uh, then we finished the story on the A-Bar and also the, uh, the, what was it? I think it was the Roosevelt and the Regal. We finished that this week, too. So uh, pre-war BMW in there as well. And then I, I also finished the story yesterday on a uh, EMW which was the East Germany-built pre-war BMW that was built in the post-war era. So, you know, we got some interesting stories in this issue, and uh, I'm just trying to, you know, just finish it up. I mean, again, being a one-man show is pretty tough. So uh, that's why my car sits there, because I devote all my time to crankshaft. But uh, I went down to a, I was guest speaker the other night at a local uh, British car meet here in Maryville, Tennessee, and, uh, you know, there's like 35 people there, and about one-third of them were subscribed to Crankshaft, which was great to hear. And they all love it. So uh, we want to try to keep it going as possible and try to get advertising now. And, you know, it's a struggle, but uh, we're going to keep pushing. So we'll see what happens in the future. No, and you've still got a pretty good deal going. If you... Uh a year's subscription, you're going to get a copy of the very first issue, free. free. Richard's favorite free. word, free. Free. My he, practice, he, practices, he practices what he preaches. going to give it to you for free. And that's a really right. great, Joe Pep did an awesome job on that first front cover. Does a great job with all the covers, but uh, oh, the Tucker, yeah. Yeah, wait till you see the cover Joe's doing now. For issue number six, it's going to be great. I mean, issue five cover with the with the Lincoln was gorgeous, the purple Lincoln. So uh, yeah, it was. We're still put, we're still trying. You know, we're not giving up. So we'll see. Yeah, we're going to keep 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 pushing and rocking and rolling. And folks, uh, support independent automotive publishing. Uh, Seriously, half of the stuff that you read online today is absolute crap. I'm just going to say it like it is. It's absolute crap. Half of it's wrong. It's amazing right. to me. These people make it up as they go along. It's nuts. 
I read stuff and I'm like, oh my god, you know, can't you, you know, press a delete button and like get rid of this stuff from the internet? No. Are they are they it's all Democrats be stuck out there forever? Are are they yeah. all Democrats? No. The people no no, I'll tell you it's it's it, it's a it's a problem out there because it's you know they just to future generations people uh, that are going to be buying new cars or new old cars they're going to be reading about these cars they're going to get the wrong history they're going to get the wrong background they're going to hear a bunch of stuff that's why crankshaft needs to needs to continue because richard's editing his writing staff all of these folks that are contributors they know what they're doing they know what they're talking about so i'll get off my soapbox um thank you you know this just the other day wait i you know to to stick with that subject matter just the other day i read something in a magazine and you know a prominent you know car magazine and they said the same thing henry ford invented the assembly line i mean these people just copy this stuff and nausea they just they just repeat the same old wrong facts. I guess they never heard of Ransom Olds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was Olds that to the assembly line. It wasn't Henry Ford. He just perfected it. That's all it was. Uh, clueless. Anyway. No, there's there's another one. It comes up every year. And, and don't get me wrong, um, I'm a big uh, proponent of correct history. You know. Uh, Anderson, the woman that developed the windshield wiper, and all of these things that are out there um, where people, various inventions are attributed to people. And I, I forget the name now, but uh, every year this woman is attributed with patenting the world's first car heater, and this is why you're warm in your automobile as you're going down the road because of this woman's invention. She's a brilliant woman. But she did not invent the automotive heater. She invented no. a car heater for a train car, a passenger car, that blew hot air into the passenger compartment of a train car. And so these oh, people, they do this research, and it's a car. Oh, okay. Right. Well, then it's got to be an automobile. But it's not. Is wrong, you know. Great, great woman, very sharp, smart, a lot of great accomplishments, but did not invent the first automotive heater. You know, so it's just I, I don't know. Stick that she invented that heater for the train when she was on the train doing her nails, and the enamel for her nails polish wasn't drying fast enough. It, that's that's what I heard. That's why she invented it. You needed to heat the atmosphere <laughs> to dry it. <in> <laughs> it's it. You took the mail. You can find it. And you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's the uh, Wikipedia. Anybody can go in and update Wikipedia. Yes. Right. So, you which, know, you can say anything wrong. you want, you know. Oi. So. So. What's on the... Anything Frank. interesting? So... You know, I, I thought you and I talked about some of our best tips uh, that we've learned over the years, the stuff that's helped us out really best in the garage or those kind of neat little hacks that, you know, some 
guy shared with you 30 years ago. Um, I'll tell you, folks, always listen to the old guys because they've been there, they've done that. And somewhere along the line, they learned something and learned how to do something you don't know how to do. And uh, that's certainly been the case throughout my existence. I've learned a lot. Um, the bane of my existence, fasteners. Fasteners of all types, bolts, screws, you name it. If you're working on old cars, all that stuff is rusted up at some point. It, there's corrosion on it, you know. Very rarely do you get lucky and not have an occasion where you in a position where you could possibly break off a bolt, round out a screw, create some sort of issue where you're not going to be able to get what you need apart so that you can repair it. Um, and the probably the single best tip that anybody has ever given me, <laughs> you know, don't just put your wrench or screwdriver on a fastener and immediately just try to loosen it. Don't do no. it. Because you're yep. going to break it off. You tight, try to tighten it slightly. And the other thing that you can do in addition to that is, of course, give a little, create a little vibration with it and put a little penetrating lubricant on it. Um, and that brings in another little tip that I got. And that is, uh, I think it was MIT, conducted a study of penetrating oils. And they found that a 50-50 mix of ATF, automatic transmission fluid, and acetone mixed up performed as well as anything out there on the market practically. And I've employed that, not only unstuck engines and everything else, it works great. Yeah, I read that report, and it says that mixture required only like 52 foot-pounds of torque to loosen the fastener. Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, using WD-40, required almost 500 foot-pounds of torque to loosen the fastener. So, yeah. Yeah, WD-40 is great. not a penetrating oil. People, people, no. people that's a big fallacy. WD-40 yeah. is not a penetrating oil. It's a water dispersant. That's all it is. Yep. Um, it's yeah. Great Good for, tip. you know, you get a little water on your distributor cap, a little water under the engine. You want to displace it so that everything's not shorting out and cross-firing. Shoot it with a little, little WD-40. But if you have a rusty bolt, rusty nut, do not shoot it with WD-40. It's not going to help you. No. Um, but always tighten first, slightly. Not hard, don't put a ton of English on it, but try to tighten it a little bit before you go backwards. Then you keep loosening the bolt or nut up, and then you encounter resistance again, and that's because as it's coming out, it's, uh, you know, hitting threads that are plug plugging up with, you know, the iron oxide and the other crud that's in between the uh, fastener and the, the threads. So then you, what do you do? You, you tighten a little bit, and then you loosen. You tighten, you loosen. You tighten, and you loosen. And then you lubricate and tighten, and you loosen. And eventually, it'll it'll get out with, without breaking off. Because that's, that snap noise, that's the worst noise you ever want to hear when you're working on anything. Oh, the worst. 
Now, using that same principle, if you have an aluminum, this is especially if you have an aluminum cylinder head, uh, if you're removing your spark plugs, you do it when the engine is cold, not warm. And the spark plugs will come out quicker and easier with less resistance. And if you do it when the engine is hot, and again, especially on aluminum cylinder heads, you want to do it when the engine's cold and the, the plugs will loosen up immediately. So that's another quick tip. Yeah, that's a great that's a great tip, and, and one that a lot of people don't don't remember, but uh, be, particularly with aluminum because it expands and contracts at a different rate than the uh, plugs. And so, you know, when it's warm, those threads are going to be much tighter. So, yeah, great great tip. Um, the other thing, you know, screws, particularly Phillips screws. You know, you round one out. First thing is always use the proper size Phillips screw for your fastener. You know, check yes. it. Check the fit of the bit in the screw. That's the first thing that's going to cause you to round it out and to have a problem. If you don't, if it's a number two, requires a number two Phillips, use a number two Phillips. There's a reason. They all look similar. You're going to try to mix them up, you're going to have a problem. But a Dremel tool, oh, we're coming up on a break, and this was exciting, folks. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Ah, we're we're back. back. And we were uh, lecturing everyone about using the proper size Phillips screwdriver uh, to get your fasteners out. So let's just say, you know, you buy all of your screwdrivers. And and don't buy cheap Phillips screwdrivers, you know. Don't go to Ollie's to buy your Phillips screwdrivers like Richard does, okay? Just because they're on sale for 50 cents a piece doesn't mean they're good, okay? Cheap tools are bad. 
<laughs> you don't want to round everything out because if you have a cheap tool and it starts to get worn, it's going to wear your fastener. That's the other thing. You want nice, sharp, crisp edges on, on particularly your, your Phillips screwdrivers. If you've had a Phillips, you know, oh, God, I've owned this since I was five years old, and uh, you're still using it 30 years later, you probably need to replace it. Uh, we know you might be attached to it, throw it away, or use it as an emergency spare, but always have nice, crisp edges on all of your uh, Phillips. But what I'm getting to, you whether it's that or you have like an Allen uh, <clears throat> wrench slot in your screw head and it gets rounded out, you can always take a Dremel with a really narrow cutting disc, a little Dremel tool with a narrow small cutting wheel, and cut a slot, a nice deep slot in it. And you be careful with it because you want it to be as precise as possible. You don't want it to be wider on the ends than it is in the center cut it and then put your screwdriver in give that fastener or give that screwdriver a few whacks with a hammer not too hard just to set it in there put some pressure tighten first and then loosen and you'll find that you get a lot more uh, make a lot more headway in getting the screw out yeah you know we, we talked about heat and things like that and when you're removing spark plugs, your engine's cold. But on the opposite end, and I've come across people who just didn't know this, if you're going to change your oil, the engine's got to be hot. But then the oil thins out, and you'll get most of the dirty oil out of the engine when it's hot. And I've seen people just go up to their car and, you know, start changing the oil, and they run it two days. And, you know, it's, it's thicker, and it gets stuck inside and not all of it's going to flow out something simple the engine's got to be hot when you change your oil i mean very basic no absolutely right um the other thing of course is you know once you've brought your engine up to operating temperature all that oil is being circulated through the engine and so a lot of impurities and crud etc crud's just a great general term um you know it's in suspension and so when you pull that drain plug, it all flows out into into your uh, drain pan. Whereas mm-hmm. if you do it like Rich said, when it's cold, all that crud, it's just going to stay inside your engine out of suspension. It's going to be stuck to the sides. So, yeah, yeah that's, a great, that's a great one, too. Um, freeze off by CRC. You know, you, we're talking about heating, contracting, and all of that. Um, certainly, sometimes a, a propane or acetylene torch helps out. Be very careful. Don't set anything on fire or melt anything that you're going to have to replace. You know, always be careful. You know, be, you know, have good footing. Know what you're doing. Know where you're standing. And uh, keep the, always start with the smallest flame possible. Don't start out, you know, with some wicked flame six inches long when you're going after a, uh, a a fastener. Start with a smaller flame. Heat the heat if it's a nut. Heat the nut a little bit. It's a bolt. Heat the surrounding areas a little bit. Um, but you heat your friend. Then smack it with a 
ball peen. That always seems to help. You don't want to damage your threads. Everything that you're doing, whenever you use a hammer or a puller or um, an air chisel, if you're going to set up some vibration uh, with an air chisel or you're removing a pulley and you're going to use an air chisel, which you can do, you know, you've got to keep it dialed down. You've got to practice with it. You've got to understand your tool. But always think about this. You want to protect the threads, and you also want to prevent, if you're pulling something, removing a pulley, you don't want to mushroom the end or widen the end of the shaft that is inside the pulley or that you're moving the pulley over across and, and off of. Um, so you're going to want to put something else in there as a buffer, a scrap nut or something like that, put it in there, and uh, put your uh, either tighten your gear puller up to that or if you're going to use, a, which I do often, but I've been using an air chisel for a long time, so I make sure I dial it down to the right pressure so that I'm not, you know, just beating the daylights out of something, just a nice, soft vibration to kind of start things moving along. But always protect your um, protect your threads. Be careful and wary of the fact that you're going to mushroom it. If you mushroom your threads, it's going to be difficult to get the nut off. If you mushroom your shaft, it's going to be difficult to get the pulley off. Good tip. You know, uh, I... There is a tip that someone gave me years ago, and it was uh, Ray Bohax, who who is just a great uh, engineer type of guy who knows so much about engines and automobiles. And uh, he gave me this tip, and I do it every day when I drive my car. Uh, heat is the worst thing for your engine. You know, heat soak. You know, if if you're on a trip more than you know a half hour. Uh, your engine gets up to temperature, and you have all this heat contained in the engine bay, and it starts destroying over time. It starts destroying the wiring, the electronics, and all that stuff. So if I go to the post office, and um, then from there I go to, you know, shopping and stuff, and half hour later I come home, I open my hood, and then I go in the house. And you let all that heat out of the engine bay. And I do that all the time. I mean, even when I came to pick you up to go to uh, the AACA meet in uh, Williamsburg back in February, what did I do? I pulled up after that four-hour drive, and I immediately opened the hood of my Mini Cooper, and I left it like that for a half hour. You get all that heat out of the engine bay. And, you know, you can do that with your old cars, of course, but do it with your daily drivers, even your cars that are new. Heat is an enemy to the engine bay and all the electronics of today. So ever since I've been doing that, man, uh, I haven't had any problems with my cars, nothing at all. So uh, a little thing like that makes a difference. Yeah, o over time, yeah, o it definitely makes a difference. Um, you know, it's like turbocharged cars, you know, people driving them and then just driving them hard and then turning off the key and stopping. You know, you really should sort of run it just a little bit before you before you shut it down allows everything to cool off you know it was more a problem in the earlier years than it is today because the materials have changed and improved the metallurgical components are 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 different but uh but yeah definitely he is he's definitely your enemy 
for sure. Um, cool. You know, a couple of other things too, just little little things in your toolbox that you carry with you on the road, and you can actually keep this, you know, on your workbench too, but. Um, a simple old candle. Everybody has an old candle laying around. So <clears throat> if you're having trouble uh, and you don't happen to have a can of oil, penetrating oil or the ATF acetone mix or whatever it is you're using nearby, uh, you can always heat a candle, melt it, onto whatever it is, the threads, whatever it is you're working, it will penetrate to a degree, it will help. But the real place that it helps really well is in reassembly. Um, you know, you don't want to squirt a bunch of oil when you're putting everything back together. You've cleaned everything up. You don't want to be creating a mess by putting oil all over it. Um, you know, if it's not a restoration, you're probably not using new fasteners every time. So take that candle and just rub it across the threads of whatever it is you're reassembling. And when you put it back together, it's going to go back together a lot easier. Um, and it will probably actually come apart easier the next time you go to do it, too. So just an old dead candle, rub it across the threads before you you know, put that fastener back together. Put that bolt in or that nut on. Good idea. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you got to have matches, too. you got to have a lighter, light the candle. Make sure you got that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're going to use it for, uh, uh, you know, a lubricating or penetrating uh, oil substitute, you know, I mean, it's obviously not the best, but it's better than nothing. And if that's what you got, it, it stores easy. You can throw it in the toolbox, whereas if you throw in a can of oil, sometimes it gets all over everywhere, leaks out by the time you use it and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, another thing you can do is um, we've all if you don't have a magnetic um, extension or you don't have a magnet in the end of the socket that you're using you know we've all been there where we're trying to hold the nut of the bolt in the socket as we're reaching down to the engine bay to get it to where it needs to go and it falls out and then, of course, invariably, it goes to the center of whatever it is you're working on so that it's absolutely as far away as possible from from where you're at. So you've got to actually get down on your hands and knees and crawl up under there to get it out. But how to avoid that? You know, everybody's got, a, you know, some of these blue shop towels around or paper towel around. Take and put that fastener, put the paper towel over the head of the nut, and then shove it into your socket. That will hold it, just that little bit of friction that holds the bolt between your socket and the bolt head will hold it all in until you can get your get your nut started. And then, of course, you know, you just pull the socket off and the paper towel falls away. Just a neat little trick to keep, you know, keep things a little easier for you. Well, on, on that note, what you could do is you go to either, you know, one or like Michael's or you go to home, uh, what do you call it, Hobby Lobby, and uh, you get different size magnets because they have magnets for everything. Chinese 
little circular magnets. They have them in, you know, various diameters. And you put them in your socket, and then you put the fastener. And the magnet holds not only the fastener, but it, it holds to the socket because it's all metal. And uh, bada bang, you put it on, done. And then you just pop out the magnet, uh, and you're done. Yeah, Isn't that but mine's, my, my idea is cheaper. Cheaper, cheaper. practically free. Well, practically free, you, got me. you know. Maybe you, I'll you tear off the little it. corner of the paper towel and, and stick it in there, you know. Meanwhile, you're chucking it up to uh, Hobby Lobby. You're spending all that fuel. Then you're buying all these little magnets. You're getting a little box of them, and you're probably not going to use half of them, you know. And then you got those things left over and stuck all over everywhere. I mean, jeez, come on. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll bring the magnets back and get my dollar fifty nine back. <laughs> there you go, exactly. <laughs> See, now, now you're talking. Um, now, when, two two other tips about about heat. I've read, and I don't know if it's true or not, but if you're going to fill up your car, it's always best to fill it up early in the morning because with the heat of the day, the gasoline expands. And you'll, you know, use less or require less than fuel. So and all, it's it's I, a fallacy, actually. Really, it's, it's a fallacy. Okay. Yeah. Once you get into the ground uh, more than, I don't know, something roughly around two feet below the ground, the temperature is constant all the time. Yes. I thought so. That, that's why I said I wasn't sure if I believed it or not. So <laughs> good, you got that. You got that tip from the uh, cashier at Ollie's the last time you were in there, right? No, I I read that in the Rowan Times. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Your newspaper. <laughs> um. So a, a neat little judging. Uh, prep tip too we were talking about uh some of that last week and little tips to improve your judging scores and to uh, be more successful on the show field you know pick up a you're talking about hobby lobby and talking about um the you know michaels and those places you can go in and buy a little card full of different color magic markers. They come in really handy. You know, you have a little tiny, a couple of little tiny specks or chips under your hood, and, you know, you don't have time to refinish it or go out there and repaint it make without making a mess. You know, black, for instance, you have a really good black felt tip marker. You just go out there and hit that spot with that black felt tip marker, and voila. It goes away. Um, so a good set of uh, markers if you're going to do some last-minute detailing. And as I said, you know, you picked up a chip and you don't have time to repaint it. It's amazing what a black marker will cover. And unless people are going over your car with a fine-tooth comb, they're never going to see it, that you did it that way. Um, just another another little tidbit. Um Six-point sockets. Always try to use six-point sockets. You get more torque. Yep. 
Um, Keeps you from rounding off the edges. Yep, I use them all the time. I mean, you got to have 12 points, but uh, sure. six points off. Uh, yep. If you can use a six point, use a six point. It just, just makes life easier. Um, you know, all of us have used probably heat shrink tubing, and sometimes we're using it in applications under the hood, and that's, of course, you know, if it's out of sight, if you're doing a restoration, then you've got to be exactly to the original uh, configuration of construction of the vehicle. But uh, if you're using heat shrink tubing and it's out, you know, usually it's because you've spliced a wire or you've made a repair of some sort because you've uh, lost your uh, insulation. You want to take and slide that tubing down over the wire. Then where you've made your repair and along on both sides of the repair, put a little bit of dielectric grease. Then slide the tubing back up, shrink it, and when you do, it'll shrink up against that dielectric grease and it creates a nice waterproof seal. Whereas if you don't do that and you shrink the heat shrink tubing, when water hits it, it tends to uh, be drawn in. Um, so you, you'll want to use dielectric grease when you use that heat shrink tubing. It's, it works I great. Use, I, does. I use dielectric grease on all my electrical connectors, even if, even on my new car. If um, I decide to clean the battery terminals, once I do that, I just put a smear of dielectric grease. Then I put the battery terminals back on. So, uh, yeah, you always have to use that. It just, like you said, it adds a protective layer of, a lay, an extra layer of protection against moisture ruining the electrical connection. So, yep, good tip. And and that's like $2.50. You can buy those at auto parts store, little tubes. And a tiny tube of like three ounces of dielectric grease will last you 10 years. So go for it. Yeah, you can use it sparingly, and it, it does a great job. But, yeah, if you've got it in there under your heat shrink tubing, it pre- prevents osmosis from uh, drawing water into your repair area. Um, you know, you're talking about batteries and using the dielectric grease on your battery connections. That's another thing that people don't do. You can buy a pair of battery pli- battery terminal pliers for relatively little money, generally around $10, um, and... They spread that terminal when you go to replace your battery. It spreads the terminal. I know so many people, they take a screwdriver and a hammer and try to spread the battery terminal or their, you know, if you use battery terminal pliers and you have the correct tools, you're going to save a lot of damage and uh, save yourself some hassle. It's easy. Yep, it is. And, uh, yeah, those are some good tips. Very good, Tom. Um, again, you hillbilly boys from uh, Virginia, you really surprise me sometimes. You guys are really knowledgeable. I guess we, you've been reading, you know, <laughs> I've been reading Crankshaft Magazine. Uh, it's <laughs> Richard's best tips and techniques and how to do stuff for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't need to get great when... Next time you go to Hershey or Auto Fair or Carlisle, wherever, 
you pick up some of those old home handyman magazines that they sell for a buck on, you know, on the dollar table. And uh, old mechanics illustrated. Some of those old magazines are just filled with great tips from, you know, back in the 30s and 40s. And they still apply today on, on cars. So, uh, yeah, I picked up many great tips from reading those old magazines. It's so cool to look at. And people back then were very knowledgeable and, you know, and frugal. So they had to do what they had to do to save money. So Home Handyman, yeah. Home Mechanic Illustrated, all those magazines have great tips. And those tips will last forever. Well, I mean, you should probably have most of them because, you know, you were subscribing to them back then, I'm sure. So Yeah. Cool. <laughs> back during the uh, Roosevelt of the price station. <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Removing rivets is another one. Um, people oh. always take a decide that they're going to use a drill. They're going to drill down the center of the rivet. And what happens that- is... The little piece that, you know, when you pop the rivet, it pulls what looks like a nail up through, and then it breaks off. Well, that's made out of steel, and your rivet is generally made of aluminum or a very mild steel. And so you get in there with a drill bit to drill the center out. Well, as soon as your drill hits that harder steel, it's going to move to the side and start eating at at the uh, softer rivet material, and your drill bit is going to go off where it doesn't need to go, and it's going to get into the surrounding material and create a problem for you. You take a really small punch, put it in the center, whack it up, and that'll knock the the center out. Then you can go back with your drill and uh, clear it out, or sometimes it'll just pull out once you've actually popped that center piece out. That's another little nifty thing, and I've learned that lesson myself. Yeah. I mean, how often so, do we have... But when you do, yeah. you know, you want to do it... Sure. But you don't want to enlarge the hole either using the drills. Then you can't get the new rivet in because it'd be too much space. So, good tip. Exactly. Very good. And even a blind squirrel fan finds an acorn now and then. You know, we have a lot of squirrels up here on the mountain, so a lot of acorns too. Yeah, see, never said we always used to say, "Don't be a schmuck." (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a schmuck. (laughs) Don't be as lost. Another another little tip too. I hate exhaust work. We were going to talk about our most hated stuff in the garage and the things we hate the most. We'll save that for another another show but one of the things I hate the most makes me think of another tip and that is when you're working on exhausts nothing is Uh, worse than doing exhaust systems as far as I'm concerned I Um, agree unless you're working yeah unless you're working with something fresh but if you're working with old exhaust system uh, and what's the worst part of it getting crap in your eyes while you're working on it. All this stuff is falling down, the rust and the dust and everything. Um, Take and spray it with a little bit of oil before you do it. The the whole thing, the pipe, all around where you're working, that whole exhaust piece, spray it with a little bit of oil. That'll cut down significantly on all that dust and crap that's coming into your eyes. And then when you get done... 
take a chop rag and wipe it down, and uh, it'll burn off. It's not going to catch on fire. It's just going to burn off. Good idea. Never, never heard of that, but you're right. All that stuff flakes off and gets into your eyes, on your chest, in your mouth. Yeah, it's just awful. That's why I now went place the exhaust system on my Triumphs. I replace it with stainless steel exhaust systems. It, you know, you spend a few dollars more, but you don't have to worry about it corroding. And it lasts so much no. longer, too. Yeah, I don't know you usually find that... They don't... Do they have them for Hudson's? That's exactly what I was going to say. Do they have stainless steel exhaust systems for Hudson's and AMC Rebel Machines? Do they? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I think actually, I think there's a guy. There's a guy out there that, that does all that. Um, but yeah, well, we've got a couple of things coming up real quick. Um, two. While we were thinking about it, we were talking about the auctions and everything else, and we always talk about you know how to sell your car, where to buy your car, all of those things. Classic Auto Mall just outside of Philadelphia, right off the turnpike up there, in a an old mall. Uh, they've got hundreds of cars up there. And even if you're not in the market for a car, I tell people if you're up that way, stop into the Classic Auto Mall, check things out. It's a great walk through time at the very least. But it'll give you some ideas on what you like. And uh, take your partner with you, too, because you'll find out Hey, she likes this. Well, I like it too. It makes life easier when you go to buy that next car too. So, what else is on the agenda but, for today? We have anything else? I mean, uh, oh yeah. Well, there's always more. What what happened with that ambassador that you bought last week? Did you get it running? So no. We're going to have to wind oh. it down. I hadn't gotten to it yet, but I'm getting to it. I've got to get the brakes freed up on the back. I had to replace the trailer bearing. If you remember, that went dead. Uh, that locked yep. up. Got to, had to replace that. And we're moving out, folks. We'll be here next week. Next Take week. care. We'll be in Charlotte. Yes. Have a great weekend, folks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Since the 1960s.